Hey guys, and welcome to the Family Business Indaba podcast. We are the voice of African family business, promoting generational wealth and generational legacies. And my name is Susan Tendi. And I am Nika Amani. And we're going to be taking you through the journey of African family business. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to day three of the Ukama Family Business Conference. Um, today's sessions will be themed on the focus. The, f- the focus will be on the future of African family business. And to kick us off today with our sessions is a panel discussion from KPMG, the African team. Um, the moderator is Alan Barr, head of KPMG Private Enterprise of Africa. We've got two panelists, Wale Abayomi, tax partner from the Nigeria team, and KPMG Africa head of tax, as well as Sandeep Main, associate tax director, East Africa. So I'm just going to ha- play a short video, and um, shortly after, we'll commence with the panel discussion. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Alan Barr. I'm head of KPMG Private Enterprise in South Africa and uh, and across Africa. And just to put you in perspective what private enterprise is, it's a part of KPMG that looks after the private companies and individuals, the entrepreneurs, the owners of those emerging giants, fast-moving private companies and business families and family offices. And we started a Center of Excellence uh, a few years ago where we're pri- trying to provide guidance and insight for families in managing the various family dynamics but also sharing some very useful insights. And this COVID report and, and video that has just been played just highlights it. And, and last year in November, we released our third family business barometer for Africa. And once again, it showed that families across Africa were not negative, but were cautiously optimistic about the future because they focused on the long term. And despite all the uncertainty that's taking place uh, in the world today, Two things that are certain are death and taxes. And therefore, joining me today are two of my colleagues, um, is Wali Abuyami from uh, Nigeria, head of tax uh, for Africa and especially Nigeria, and Sandeep Main, he's a director in tax in uh, Kenya and East Africa. Um, and we'll be talking about some of the developments in the tax space that are impacting families and that families need to consider. Unfortunately, while one colleague could not join us today from South Africa, but I'll be touching on some of the aspects from a South African perspective. So I think the first question I'm going to pose to the panel is really comes about the uncertainty of how governments were going to be funding the stimulus packages that they paid out during the pandemic. And there was a lot of talk amongst families around the world about wealth taxes and the significant concern about the business families and the high net with individuals of these wealth taxes. In many cases, that did not transpire. But um, despite that, there are still uh, various types of wealth taxes in place. And to kick off, maybe I'd like to hand over to my colleague Sandeep to say, what are the wealth taxes that are going to be in place? Thank you for that, Alan, and uh, good afternoon, uh, everyone. So essentially, from uh, from an East African perspective, we do not really have what we call a wealth tax. Uh, but uh, across the board in East Africa, we do have what's known as capital gains tax, 
So when you do dispose of any property, uh, you will be liable to pay uh, CGT, which is capital gains tax. And the rates do vary across uh, the different countries in East Africa, uh, with Kenya being the lowest at 5%. Now, more from a Kenyan perspective, there are conversations on how uh, the governments can actually bridge uh, that particular revenue deficit. And uh, one of the things uh, that they are considering is indeed a wealth tax, which is essentially going to be where uh, the high net worth individuals will then pay a percentage uh, of their net assets as tax to uh, the government. The other thing that uh, Kenya is uh, definitely considering uh, is an increase in the in the pairs you earn, which is the employment tax rate from the current 30% to an upwards of 35 to 40%, essentially taxing uh, people who are earning uh, probably more than $7,500. So there is our conversation, and indeed it is something, a space to be watched uh, across the region on how uh, governments are going to then tap into uh, taxing the high net worth individuals through wealth taxes and increase uh, in tax rates to then bridge uh, that particular gap. Uh, back to you, Alan. Uh, thanks, indeed. And, um, you know, exactly that, you know, wealth tax is the tax on your net assets. And we're seeing capital gains tax being one of them, as you mentioned, donations tax in some jurisdictions is, is also there. Estate duty or death taxes. We know that, for instance, in South Africa, it is an extremely high tax uh, and one of the highest in the world because there's no examples, as well as any taxes like the property and, and Wally, from a Nigerian perspective, um, what are some of the that are already in place? Okay. Thank you so much, Alan, and apologies that I'm joining late. I had technical issues with my microphone, uh, but now I'm here and I'm glad to be here. Uh, at the height of the lockdown during wave one of the pandemic, the Nigerian tax authorities introduced stimulus measures to mitigate the impact of the pandemic. Uh, such measures included extension of deadlines for filing monthly and annual tax returns and extension of deadlines for payment of taxes. In addition, there was also a penalties and interest, which expired on 31st August 2020. Since then, under Finance Act 2020, uh, government introduced additional fiscal measures, uh, such as exemption of small businesses with not more than 25 million naira turnover from corporate income tax and minimum tax. Uh, also, uh, for medium-sized businesses with turnover not exceeding 100 million, uh, the corporate income tax rate was reduced from 30% to 20%. At the same time, all enterprises, including medium and large, inter- large businesses, um, have had mid- minimum tax rate reduced for them from 0.5% of turnover to 0.25% of turnover. And that's going to last for two years, uh, from 2020 to 2021 years of assessment. Um, Apart from all these measures, I do not anticipate the government will introduce additional uh, stimulus measures, given the fact that the pandemic has slowed down tremendously in Nigeria and daily infection rates are quite low. Um, but what we are seeing now is that uh, tax authorities are intensifying tax audits and investigation um, with a view to clawing back the revenue lost uh, due to the, t- uh, the lockdown period when they couldn't conduct a, a tax audits and investigation. So taxpayers, including family businesses, should expect more tax audits and investigation from tax authorities because government is in dire need of uh, resources. Thank you. And just to confirm in Nigeria, there's, there's no wealth taxes at the moment, right? So there's nothing being introduced at the moment from a wealth tax. There is no wealth tax in Nigeria and there's no intention to introduce wealth tax in Nigeria. If anything at all, Nigeria is a haven for the wealthy because even there's no capital gains tax on uh, disposal of uh, uh, stocks for investment in securities and all of that, 
and there are significant uh, tax exempt instruments where they can invest their funds, such as treasury bills, uh, corporate bonds, government bonds, and uh, euro bonds. So really, uh, this is a, a very supportive environment for people to grow their wealth. Thanks, Wally, for that. Um, now, we know that family businesses contribute significantly to most economies around the world, uh, and the African countries are no different. I mean, they contribute employment, provide job opportunities, and obviously provide tax. And many family businesses are very much focused on the, on the older term. However, Wally, and you've mentioned that now already, you know, the government authorities are looking at um, increasing the compliance and the focus on re- re- uh, you know, generating a recovery, those taxes that may not be paid. But what are some of the other measures and tax changes that we can be expecting uh, from the jurisdictions to, you know, help fund the stimulus packages that they brought in during this COVID? Period. Uh, Sandeep, from your part, what are you seeing in East Africa on changes uh, that legislation is? Yeah, uh, thanks, thanks for that question, Alan. So probably first to begin by the stimulus packages, uh, the East African countries, which is Tanzania, Uganda, Rwanda, did uh, introduce various arrays of stimulus packages like reducing the corporation income tax rate, uh, value-added tax rate, extension in filing the returns, and so forth and so forth. But... Uh, Essentially, what happened uh, after, so for example, being specific to Kenya, uh, the government then reversed uh, that particular tax. So the corporation tax rate, uh, which was reduced, say, from 30% to 25%, is now back up uh, to 30%. VAT was down from 16% uh, to 14%, it's back up to 16%. So they're already reversing some of these stimulus packages that were granted during the initial stages of the pandemic. But over and above that, uh, most countries have introduced new taxes. So, for example, Kenya has introduced what we call the minimum tax, which I heard Wally already say is effective in Nigeria, and the rate has gone down from the 0.5% to uh, 2.5%. In Kenya, it's actually 1% of your turnover. Uh, Tanzania has a similar tax already that has been effective, I think, since 2006. So, essentially, what the government is saying is that you must pay a minimum of tax, whether you make profits or you make losses. So that's one way of collecting uh, revenue to bridge that uh, particular gap. The other most significant tax that was introduced is the digital service tax. And that, I believe, is uh, Kenya is probably the first uh, in East Africa to introduce that. And essentially what they're saying is that a lot of businesses have moved uh, to online platforms, uh, you know, selling their products as uh, services through online platforms. They're now trying to see how do we then, uh, you know, uh, you know, bridge that particular loophole in the revenue collections. And one of the ways is now to tax uh, the digital economy. So those are some of the ways that they're actually bridging the gap uh, in the revenue deficits. Uh, back to you, Alan. Thanks very much, Sandeep. And I think it's a imp- very important point that is that when families are looking at transforming their business, especially in this new digital world, to make sure that they understand the impact uh, from a tax perspective in doing in any type of changes to their business as well. You know, what um, What we saw in South Africa, for instance, uh, the tax authorities have reduced the tax rate from 28% to 27% from 1st April next year, um, and but also reducing any um, sunset clauses, no extension of those for certain tax incentives that will be brought in. Uh, but as you mentioned, a significant focus on the high net worth individuals, number one, 
Uh, in South Africa, based on information that's been print, uh, printed, there seems to be a gap between what the tax authorities identified as high net worth individuals versus what has been published in the media. And so there's a significant focus, in fact, a specialized unit that is going in there to address that and focus on these individuals to make sure that compliance is there and everyone is paying their fair share of tax. And I think that's the important point, right? Paying their fair share. We do know that uh, South African revenue authorities are strengthening their skills. Um, so once again, it's very important for that planning that people take that uh, take the place. And, and lastly, there was a release uh, or relief in South Africa regarding exchange control, and these have been lifted, and those changes have been welcomed significantly. Um, so a lot of tax authorities, as we see, are looking at different ways of improving the collection base, etc. Wally, from a Nigerian perspective, anything you want to add in terms of changes happening uh, that you that you already mentioned, but anything else you want to add from uh, Nigeria? You're on mute, Wally. You're on mute. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, it will be really unkind, um, as far as I'm concerned, for any government to be thinking about increasing taxes at this time, given the fact that uh, businesses are yet to recover from uh, from COVID. Uh, so in Nigeria, there is no plan to increase tax rate uh, for businesses, and uh, there is no uh, plan to introduce any new tax, uh, for that matter. Uh, what has happened is that in the last one year, uh, government introduced uh, uh, a tax regime uh, to capture the digital economy. And this is focused more on non-resident businesses that are supplying services into the, the country uh, with a view to making them to uh, make a contribution to the uh, revenue generation in the, in the country. And so there is a, a ministerial order pursuant to the finance out of 2019 under which uh, uh, non-resident businesses that have significant economic presence in Nigeria are subject to withholding tax deduction on the income they make from Nigeria. Okay, and that 10% withholding tax is their final tax um, in the country. Because before now, um, companies operating in the digital economy were not able to tax in the country because there was no fixed base, um, there's no permanent establishment. But now, significant economic presence has, has uh, filled that vacuum to make them to be able to pay tax in Nigeria. And then under Finance Act 2020, they are now required to even register for VAT and charge VAT. However, the local recipient of their services, their customers, are the ones to, the, to withhold that VAT and remit directly to the tax authorities in Nigeria. So, in other words, government is focusing more on areas where they were already leaving revenue on the table, such as with respect to non-resident businesses. And also, focus really should be more on collection, because in Nigeria, collection is really not as efficient as it should be. We have a large informal sector that's more than 50% of the economy. Um, so rather than tax business in the formal sector more, the focus actually should be to shift uh, to the informal sector where people are not paying as much tax, if any at all. Thank you. No, thank you for that. And, uh, you know, once again, I think it's important for people to understand maintaining the compliance, right, is, is very key because there's some risks, about, apart from the penalties that may be imposed, the reputational risk that families may face if, uh, with the revenue authorities if they don't make sure their books are in order and they're paying the right amount of tax. Now, what we saw during COVID was um, a number of families used it as an opportunity to reflect on their shared purpose. There was certainly a, a focus on succession planning and bringing in the next generation into the business, or in some cases where the next generation are living abroad, to look at bringing a professional team to, to run their businesses. And, and whilst African family businesses are, are relatively young in this respect, you know, second or third generation, 
we see more and more the African family business professionalized. At the same time, we've seen a lot of interest from outside of Africa looking to buy businesses and family businesses looking to, uh, you know, sell part or or all or partner some of the businesses. But at the same time, all of this comes about making sure you don't have any nasty surprises from um, any of these tax events that may take place, especially selling a business, handing over to the next generation. So what would be your advice to families? Uh, what that they should have in place to manage their succession planning, to ensure that, you know, what, as an example, some of the families that we, we deal with, we know that their wills are not up to date from a personal perspective. Um, so how do they manage this, these tax events taking place? And Wally, let's start with you. All right. Uh, thank you, Alan, for that uh, question. Uh, my first advice to family business owners is that they should ensure that their businesses pay tax as and when deal. As the consequences of not doing so could be dire for them in terms of penalties and interest payable on default, uh, which could even be more than the tax itself, depending on how long they are delinquent. So it's important, therefore, that they are compliant at all times. Then also it's, it's time for them to be looking at the uh, the, the, the setup of their business in terms of the corporate structures used, the vehicles they use for running their businesses. The default position is for family businesses to use limited liability companies uh, to run their uh, businesses, uh, which in itself is okay. However, the tax consequences can really be very excessive, you know, for them, given the fact that in Nigeria, corporate income tax rate is 30%, and that has been so for a long time. In addition to that, they have to also pay education tax, uh, which is uh, 2% of their accessible tax. Uh, which then effectively means that corporate income tax rate is about uh, 32%. Now, when, by the time they are distributing dividends to their shareholders who will be members of the family now, there's also another 10% withholding tax dividends. So you find different layers of, 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 of tax on the same income, and this is really not uh, efficient at all if they really want to uh, maximize you know, their cash flow and also increase their wealth. Um, under Communist and Alimentas Act 2020 in Nigeria, uh, government introduced alternative corporate structures for businesses to use. This could either be limited partnerships or limited liability partnerships. Now, with the beauty of partnerships is that the partnership itself is not taxable. Rather, it's the individuals that are taxed based on the income they derive from the partnership. And in Nigeria, corporate income, a personal income tax rate, um, it's... Um, IS, as IES marginal rate of 24%, meaning that by the time individuals claim their allowances and reliefs, their effective tax rate will be 19%. So in essence, the profit from the family business could be taxed at not more than 19% in the hands of the individuals under limited partnerships compared to 32% if they were go through a limited liability company. And that's besides the 10% withholding tax on dividends. I also believe that uh, family businesses that have multiple entities should consider streamlining uh, their uh, business by consolidating some of these entities. Uh, you know, the fewer the better. And if they, they, they can uh, run their business using one entity and they ha just have separate divisions, uh, because uh, there is no group taxation regime in Nigeria, meaning that if a member of a group incurs a loss and enjoys a tax, uh, loss, uh, a tax loss relief, that relief cannot be offset against the profits of another company because they are different entities. However, if those businesses are matched, then the profits can actually mop up the losses in order to reduce the, the tax that the family business will pay eventually. Also, it's important for family businesses to uh, do proper treasury management by 
investing their surplus cash flow in domestic tax exempt debt and equity instruments, uh, whether it's government bonds or, or corporate bonds or treasury bills, as this uh, really enjoys uh, withholding tax exemption in Nigeria. They also uh, think about investing offshore. I mean, that helps them not only from the point of view of um, uh, having a tax shield, uh, but also to uh, be able to uh, manage currency risk in terms of devaluation of the currency because Naira is a very vulnerable currency. Also, they will be thinking about locating their investment holding companies offshore, particularly in countries with double transition treaties with Nigeria, so as to enjoy concessionary withholding tax rate on dividends uh, by the time uh, they, they, they declare dividends. Now, for individuals, <coughs> there are limited tax planning opportunities in Nigeria, and of course, the effective tax rate is already as low as 19%. However, individuals who still want to enjoy a lower tax rate can invest in um, health insurance policy or life insurance policies or uh, take voluntary pension schemes and make contributions there too, as the contributions and the premiums are, are tax deductible in Nigeria. And that could you know, put some savings in their hands, apart from the fact that they're also protecting their lives um, and also making provision for, 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 future, uh, for their future life. Now, for wealth management, uh, trust has proved over time to be a viable instrument for seamless transfer of wealth from one generation to another. And the families that are not yet doing this is advised that they should consider it because in the absence of a trust, the essay duty payable at the probate registry to prove the will of a deceased person uh, or to obtain letter of administration of the person that since the state can be as high as 10%, uh, which will be an erosion of value. It can also be time consuming to prove the will or to obtain letter of administration uh, through the uh, probate registry. So for that reason, trust is an instrument that they should consider. Now, for uh, families that also have properties um, or they are thinking about acquiring properties, it may actually be better for them to either use trust or to use corporate uh, uh, limited liability entities. Uh, the advantage of this is that when they want to sell the property, they can actually just sell the shares and thereby escape from capital gains tax because there's no capital gains tax on uh, on transfer of shares in Nigeria, um, unlike when they sell the underlying asset itself directly, uh, they, uh, they will be liable to 10% capital gains tax, uh, which is not efficient. Again, using a corporate vehicle to acquire assets for future disposal also helps them with uh, uh, VAT, VAT exemption and also from uh, avoidance of uh, stamp duties. So those are uh, things that they could consider. And an additional benefit of using a corporate vehicle actually is that they will be able to enjoy rollover relief in the event that they invest the capital gains accruing from the asset disposed of or the process thereof in an asset of the same class. Uh, so through that, they'll be able to have a, a, a tax shield, you know, that saves their capital gains, you know, from further tax in, in, in Nigeria. So these are ways by which uh, family businesses can expand their wealth and uh, wealthy family members can also transfer uh, wealth uh, intergenerationally at least cost possible uh, to their successors. Uh, thanks for that, Wally. Uh, Sandeep, what, are you, what would your advice be to families in managing these tax events from an East African perspective? You know, what are you seeing in your area? Right. Uh, thanks for that, uh, Alan. I think Wally has covered quite a lot, and that actually cuts across uh, you know, the, the region as well. Uh, but for, from my personal opinion, I know that uh, family business's sole focus is really on uh, profit generation, uh, you know, moving the business to the next level. And in, in most instances, what they do is, uh, you know, they really don't uh, take into consideration the cost of non-compliance. So I think to what you had said initially of hiring professionals, getting uh, professional opinions to ensure 
uh, that even that aspect is taken care of because non-compliance can also be very costly. So you might have all this wealth that you've built up, but in the event of a revenue authority audit, uh, the entire amount can be eroded if uh, if the assessments and the demands from the revenue authority you know, will far outweigh whatever you've already saved up or you, you want to reinvest in your business. So that would be very important. Uh, again, the other thing is really from a corporate uh, governance perspective. Most family businesses are run uh, by the family itself. And while their focus is on the future or the next or the future of the particular business, it is important also to then have boards in place, have an internal audit function, a risk management function, uh, structure just to see. And as you mentioned uh, earlier, to make yourself uh, ready for an investor, compliance is absolutely important. So it is important that all those things also taken into consideration as we grow uh, to the next level and also in terms of succession planning. Uh, back to you, Alan. Thanks, Mandeep. And I think you know, the point there is, you know, if you're going to sell your business uh, or hand it over to the next generation, you want to make sure that all those repairs are, are dealt with, that there's no skeletons in the, in the closet, because that's what happens with uh, potential investors. They want to investigate. But I think while you also mentioned some key points in that if you sell the business, what are you going to do with the wealth? And that's what we're seeing with families. You know, the shared purpose is not the, the long-term view of the business only, but the long-term view of the wealth and where we're going to deploy our wealth and where we're going to in different jurisdictions and at the same time really understanding what the tax consequences and benefits are in putting it into those different jurisdictions. And hence, we're also seeing a rise of the family office concept in Africa. You know, professional teams that are looking after the the personal tax and uh, administrative affairs, investments of families, especially when they sell their business and they've got additional capital sitting around them. And what are they going to do to enable it to continue to grow? I think what, uh, another key point here is making sure you're reviewing the tax and the, the corporate structures to make sure there's no tax leakage. As has been mentioned by Wally, it's very important the use of trusts or different legal entities is key. We're seeing a lot of that focus in, in Southern Africa, specifically South Africa, but globally, trust is a, is a big focus area. Um, but it is a valid vehicle to be using for preserving of assets, but it's quite important that families need to understand the purpose they are, because sometimes it does tie up capital and it can be deemed a lazy capital sitting under, under a trust and making sure it's taken from that perspective. So I think, um, but once again, also the distributions and therefore making sure that legis when legislation changes and how it impacts these different structures that you are aware of it as a family and making sure that your structure is appropriate for, for that measure. Changing now from what we're seeing in terms of families looking towards growth and, and looking at different jurisdictions, are they moving into, especially with Africa, free trade agreements being more encouraging trade between African countries but at the same time, African businesses looking to go into other jurisdictions around the world, either trading or acquisitions or setting up subsidiaries. Wally, what would be your advice for any family business entering these new markets in any of those areas? You know, what would you suggest they look at, both from a tax and a regulatory point of view? Because there are some minds that they need to avoid when they do embark on that type of growth. Right. Um Concerning that, uh, the first step to take is to actually investigate what the regulatory compliance requirements are for foreign di direct investment in the country that uh, they have in mind. Uh, for instance, it's not all countries that allow 100% equity ownership by foreigners, so they need to investigate, okay, could they own their businesses 100% or must they have locals as shareholders 
uh, and directors? And if so, how do they go about the selection process to ensure that they have uh, local shareholders and directors who are reputable and can actually add value to their business? Um, again, question also is what about vehicles should they use? Do they want to use a branch? Is that permitted? Uh, do they want to use a limited liability company or a limited partnership or limited liability partnership? Just as I mentioned earlier on, uh, looking at the task footprint of each entity or vehicle. And are there industry operating licenses you know, that they need to obtain uh, for them to be able to operate in particular industries, particularly the regulated industries? Also, they need to investigate the foreign exchange regime. This is actually very crucial because they need to know oh, how is it easy for them to bring capital in into those countries. And now is it, is it for them also to repatriate their dividends uh, from those countries? Uh, because what you don't want to do is that you invest in a country and then due to exchange controls, you actually cannot repatriate your dividends. So that takes care of the regulatory side of uh, uh, foreign direct investment in other countries in, in Africa or anywhere else in the world. Then the next thing to do is also to investigate the tax regime. What type of taxes? Uh, what are the rates of the taxes? And what are the tax planning opportunities so that they can take advantage of that? Also, they need to investigate, does the country have transfer pricing regulation? And what are the rules concerning intercoming transactions, whether they are loans or sale of goods or provision of services between related parties within a group? Then also they need to consider, are there double taxation treaty arrangements you know, that could be of benefit to them, particularly in terms of uh, enjoying concessionary withholding tax rate on, in, on, in, on interest on loans to related parties? on dividends uh, before they repatriate dividends back to, to the home where they have the investor to the companies. Again, are there available incentives and what are the eligibility criteria for accessing those incentives? Uh, how long does it take? What does it cost? Uh, then uh, concerning importation requirements, okay, um, they need to also uh, investigate. Are there product license requirements, particularly if they are in the food and drug uh, industry? And then are there custom duty planning opportunities that they can also consider in order to reduce uh, their uh, customs duty uh, cost as they import goods, whether finished goods or raw materials, into the countries that uh, they, they want to invest in? So these are the tax and regulatory considerations for African family businesses that are thinking of expanding to other countries in Africa and in other jurisdictions. Now, thanks, William. I know transfer pricing is a big focus by revenue authorities uh, across the world and making sure that you know, the right tax is paid in the, in the right country. I would encourage the audience, if there are any questions, to please um, include them in the, in the comment box. Uh, we may have, the panel is very happy to take any questions, but please post your questions. Uh, Nick, I don't know if there are any questions at the moment. No, none so far. Yeah, thanks very much. Now, what we're also seeing as, you know, families evolve and grow, um, you know, they, they don't always live in the same country and we're seeing more and more families looking at dual residency and, and dual citizenship and getting second passports as opposed to the outright immigration or immigration. What are some of the key considerations, Sandeep, that, that you think families need to do when, when looking at this aspect of uh, part of their longer term plan in terms of moving to a different country or getting a dual passport residency? Right. Uh, thanks for that, uh, Alan. And probably just to build on to what uh, Wal has uh, already mentioned, uh, most families actually looking at uh, where would be the most, uh, what would be the most official place to do uh, citizenship, which country would be most compatible to, uh, you know, actually repatriating some of their profits. So that would be one of the key considerations. And again, what Wal had mentioned is the 
uh, on the issue of the double tax treatment, uh, double tax uh, treaties as well. Uh, that's also a very important consideration for families uh, to see where uh, where should they get the second uh, citizenship in which country. I think the the more important question here is as they do their you know their necessary investigations or uh, into which country they should have that particular uh, second citizenship. Uh, the more important thing is how do you then bring in money from that or that built up investment out there uh, back into any other country that you need to uh, then continue the business. So those would be the the many factors, uh, and you know, and I know most people like uh, the island or they would go to the UK and whatnot. So. There are a number of considerations where someone would say that, let me take a second citizenship here. And the, the process of uh, transferring money in and out is then quite simplified. So that, I would believe, would cut across, uh, you know, all countries. Thanks, Sandeep. Anything to add there? Yes, indeed. Um, in Nigeria, we actually don't see migration among business owners as such. Uh, it's more prevalent among professionals and skilled personnel. And uh, but what we see more is the acquisition of second citizenship of uh, visas for second residency by wealthy uh, family members, and they do that for various reasons, you know, uh, to have a second home and then also ease of traveling across borders, particularly looking for residency or citizenship in countries where they will have no visa res- restrictions in going to key destinations that they would like to go around the world. However, in doing this, the uh, family family members need to actually investigate, you know, what the tax regime is for individuals in those countries, apart from the tax regime for businesses, particularly if they are moving investment holding companies of their businesses to their new fund uh, uh, lands. Uh, because some countries like the United States of America actually uh, tax you as an individual uh, wherever you live in the world. So most countries, for most countries, uh, uh, you are taxed on the basis of your residence. So I could be a Nigerian, but if I'm resident in the UK, I'm not taxed on, I'm only taxed on the income that I make based on my residence in the UK, not income from any other country. But in the case of the US, you are taxed based on your citizenship. Your tax goes with you wherever you go in the world. So you get taxed, and that can actually lead to significant double taxation because US also, also does not have double taxation uh, treaty with many countries, meaning that the tax you pay uh, in your country where you, are, you have second residence actually can only be deducted as an expense. It's not available as a tax credit against your U.S. income tax. And, of course, for countries that also tax you based on residency, you, you could head up with double taxation if you are still considered to be primarily resident in your country of, of birth, in addition to residency in your adopted country. So all of this needs to be investigated because, if not, you may just end up with double taxation along with your double citizenship or double residency. Oh, those are very important points because, um, and, and the advice would be obviously there's a number of companies and individuals out there that can actually help with these programs of investing and they are quite costly. But at the same time, like you say, it's important that you have the appropriate tax advice um, to make sure both from a personal point of view that you understand the regime and moving funds and the tax implications in, in those jurisdictions at the same time to be able to avoid any nasty consequences and surprises. But as we know, family businesses and business families are global and, and they're needing that movement and I think it's a very important way. But you want to do it in a way that you're not um, impacting the wealth of the, the broader family by um, not being informed about the decision. 
Another big aspect we've seen as part of the um, strategies of which families adopted last year to manage um, COVID, one was the, the aspect of being patient and waiting and seeing what happened. They had enough capital to keep that up. The other one was the whole transformation of the business, you know, embracing the digital uh, world and the transformation that's been taking place. And the third one was this big aspect of social responsibility, looking after the staff, but also looking after the community. And a big part of that, and we're seeing a grow, growth across Africa, this whole point of charitable giving, philanthropy, and you know, impact investing. And there will be speakers later today on, on some of the impact investment they've done uh, across Africa. But Sandeep, what are you seeing in terms of the, you know, it's great and families want to do good and they, and, they, and they want to be a force for good, but what are some of the key aspects that they need to consider um, when making a difference in the communities, either for the tropic or Right. Uh, th- thanks for that, Alan. So essentially across East Africa, a lot of businesses and communities have actually uh, bridged uh, that the government had in terms of donations of uh, like PPE or the the uh, oxygen and uh, you know the the money that's needed for purchase of vaccines and whatnot. But I think the flip side here and what uh, perhaps family businesses or associations, family associations need to consider is lobbying for these donations to be tax deductible. So, for instance, across East Africa, you only get a tax deductible uh, donation if you make it to a registered. Uh, charity, which is approved by the relevant uh, revenue authority. But now, in the case of East Africa and specifically Kenya, there have been a number of family businesses that have made donation in, in uh, you know uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions, uh, towards this particular cause. But unfortunately, then that also becomes taxable in the event they're not doing it to a registered uh, you know charitable organization. So it does have a double tax impact anyway. So one of the things that uh, businesses can do is lobby the government. And I know in Kenya, we, uh, although the lobbying uh, has already happened, we are set to receive the finance bill uh, towards the end of this month. And hopefully one of the things that we should see coming is, uh, you know, such donations, if made uh, for the benefit of the people of Kenya, then should be tax deductible. And probably that's something that uh, across the region we should see happening. Thanks, Andeep. Um, what, do you, what are you seeing in Nigeria from a philanthropic and a charitable giving? Uh, what are some of the risks that they need to manage? Right. Um, the situation is similar to um, what you have in East Africa, as Sandeep has um, mentioned. Uh, so generally, I mean, there's a regime for tax deductibility of donations by companies and individuals to eligible institutions. Okay. And then, uh, but Nigeria is ahead of uh, East Africa and uh, other countries, I believe in that under Finance Act 2020, which took effect from uh, 1st January 2021, uh, the, scope of, uh, the scope for foreign uh, corporate donors for deducting uh, their donations actually had increased. Okay, so whether they give in cash or in kind, um, under Finance Act 2020, as if those donations go to federal or state governments or their agencies, uh, then they will qualify for, for tax deduction. And the act actually referenced pandemic, okay, meaning that the act had a coronavirus pandemic in mind because private sector really uh, mobilized resources to support the government in that regard. They set up a fund. Uh, so the donations they gave to those funds actually um, are now tax deductible by virtue of this new commission introduced under the Finance Act uh, 2020. However, the amount of deductible donations is capped at 10% of the company's 
accessible profit after deduction of all other allowable donations. So that needs to be borne in mind uh, because anything you donate that's above 10% of your accessible profits will then become uh, non-deductible and taxable as such. Then in-kind donations are subject to additional um, requirements that the cost must actually be established. So adequate documentation will be required to show that the cost incurred uh, was incurred only reasonably, exclusively and necessarily in relation to the procurement or manufacturing of such in-kind donations. So uh, it's therefore important for businesses that have donated uh, goods, whether manufactured by them or procured from third parties to ensure that adequate documentation uh, is in place for them to be able to claim the the deductions. And then also, under Nigerian uh, tax law, there's a schedule to the Companies Income Tax Act, by which actually uh, funds or bodies uh, that engage in charitable activities can apply to be pre-qualified uh, to receive deductible donations uh, from third parties. And uh, family, families that are actually philanthropic can consider uh, setting up such foundations in a country like Nigeria and getting their foundations pre-qualified so that the donations they make to those foundations from their personal income or the business income can actually be uh, deductible for them once they have that certification from the Federal Revenue Service in, in Nigeria. So uh, government is trying to encourage more philanthropic activities in the country. And I know that uh, from some of my clients, you know, Toby, it would have been great if government is able to give them tax credit for their donations rather than just uh, tax deduction. But that's what go- government offers right now. And uh, uh, there's a cost, you know, to, to business for uh, our families for, uh, for donating to uh, social costs in their, in their country, Nigeria. No, thanks, Wally. And I think, you know, similarly in, in South Africa, we saw a lot of families, you know, give some large donations to funds to support um, the smaller businesses. But even in the own communities, um, making a big difference. But the key, I uh, think, for any family embarking on a philanthropic drive is to make sure that there's a clear strategy, number one. And number two is making sure that the structure and the vehicle they want to embark and, and, and drive the philanthropic approach or charitable giving is appropriately set up in accordance with the laws of the country. And especially if you want to partner and attract foreign funders or other families to support and partner with in driving various initiatives, which we're seeing a lot um, of families, you know, driving the whole ESG agenda and, you know, sustainable development goals of the UN and, and trying to make a difference that and not just giving. I think a lot of families over this, this period are, are don't just want to give, but they want to actually see a sustainable change because of the giving and the impact they're going to be making. And therefore, reputational and governance and compliance is, is so key and uh, very, very important for families to bear that in mind. But a lot of them want to make a difference. And then we think that across the continent, um, one of our colleagues has recently done research on the South African tax regime in terms of encouraging philanthropy. And we think there's a lot of work to be done there to, as you mentioned, Wally, how do you encourage more and more philanthropic drive? Because especially the next generation or the rising generation want to do more of that type of aspect to you know, make a difference. I think we've spoken a lot about compliance as well and, and the changes and the focus by the revenue authorities. But at the same time, they're also adopting this whole digital transformation right, to automate their processes and to, to make some the process streamlined, but also to help with the compliance. 
Uh, Sandeep, what are you seeing in East Africa in this regard? Because in South Africa, we've certainly seen a move um, in terms of streamlining you know, your personal tax returns and what's happening. Yeah, so East Africa as well is following a, a similar model. There have been a lot of changes in how uh, revenue authorities are actually, uh, you know, carrying out most of their processes. The, initially, they were very manual. Uh, back in the 2010s, 20, 2012, 2013s, uh, the process was very manual. You had to fill out a, a manual uh, tax return and submit it, have it approved, stamped by the revenue authority just as an acknowledgement that indeed it has been received on a, on a timely basis. Uh, but in Past, uh, most of the countries have now moved to automation. So, for example, specifically in Kenya, we have what we call ITAX. In Uganda, there's ETAX, so forth and so forth. So, all the processes are a lot more simplified uh, using technology. Yes, technology does come with its challenges. There, there are days that you try to, uh, to file a return, and probably you are doing it on the last day. So, obviously, uh, there's a lot of traffic uh, on the on the on the network. So, yes, there could be instances. People are filing their returns probably, uh, you know, just before midnight uh, to meet the day's uh, deadline. But I think with uh, with automation, what most revenue authorities are doing is they're using data analytics. They're actually matching your your sales with, with what you've actually declared uh, for corporation tax, what you're declaring from a VAT or a sales tax perspective, and actually trying to do these analytics and saying, hang on, you've declared $100 million from a VAT perspective. But from a corporation income tax perspective, I'm seeing that you're only declaring, say, 90 million. So ideally, the 10 extra million, you know, should be charged uh, to for the corporation tax. So they're doing a lot of these data analytics. Some people or some companies or businesses that have uh, that are filing and and including a line item on salaries and wages, but not really remitting as a tax for salaries and wages. Again, they're picking it up on an exception basis. So most revenue authorities across the region are doing a risk-based uh, audits. And they're picking up on uh, using data analytics more and more often to see yeah, any outliers. What do they really need to do? So technology is playing a playing a big role, uh, you know, in driving revenue for different countries. One other example I could give is, say, from a Kenyan perspective, uh, today if you incorporate a new company in Kenya, you'll see it's, you'll automatically get what we call a, a personal application number or a PIN number for the company. You do not need to go and separately apply uh, for a PIN number two. Uh, the revenue authority, which was the case in the past. So once you've lodged your papers on uh, through the register of companies, you get your automated PIN, and that PIN is automatically registered for what we call the payroll or the pay-as-you-earn obligation. And if you're not sure that they need to actually go and deregister or apply for dormancy uh, or to continue annual returns, as Wally mentioned, the penalties are quite stiff uh, on a month-on-month basis. So I think technology is playing a pivotal role in driving revenue uh, for government. And uh, I only see that uh, being more efficient and the use of data analytics into the future uh, is, is going to seal a lot of uh, the loopholes, including what Wale mentioned about uh, bringing in formal sector uh, to now pay tax. Uh, back to you, Alan. No, thanks, Adip. And I think you know, we're seeing the similar in South Africa and hence even companies making sure that before they submit, they're doing their own data analytics regarding all the different taxes, especially those hidden taxes, customs, VAT, you know, the income tax is one aspect, but the other areas that are uh, often hidden, they're doing uh, quite a lot of investment to make sure that they comply. What are you from a Nigerian perspective? Are you seeing something similar? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Nigeria is going along the same direction of travel as um, Kenya that uh, Sandeep mentioned. Under Finance Act 2020, there is a provision that was introduced 
amending the Federal Inland Revenue Service Establishment Act that empowers the Federal Inland Revenue Service to utilize proprietary or third-party payment processing or other, other digital platform or application to collect and remit taxes. Now, the first step that the FRS has done pursuant to this is to make an announcement earlier this month, um, introducing automated tax administration system and uh, saying that by this, uh, they'll be connecting uh, to uh, uh, data that's held in systems, electronic devices or cloud computing facilities, point of sales or investment platform maintained or operated or controlled or owned by taxpayers or their agents. Uh, now, we don't know whether now they want to capture transaction types such as VAT uh, on the spot, real time, or whether this is just to gather data, you know, just as uh, Sandeep mentioned, with a view to comparing the data that they have by reason of the deployment of this autom automated tax administration system uh, with data filed by taxpayers in their tax returns, whether it's monthly tax returns or the annual tax returns. Or, uh, so it's still being debated. And as a matter of fact, uh, KPMD is planning to have um, a webinar on this on the 19th of May, 2021, uh, where we're going to be having the Federal Land Revenue Service share their vision and their plans with us in terms of what they want to do with the transformation of the agency, particularly with respect to um, technology, deployment of technology in tax administration. No, thanks, Wally. Thanks very much. And I would like to thank both you and Sandeep for your um, insights this morning. Uh, our panel is, is coming to an end. And I just the key messages for family businesses out there is to remember that uh, compliance is key, number one, from a reputational point of view, but number two, also from a, a cash outflow point of view, managing your wealth. So it is critical to make sure you're appropriately planning, not only for now, but for long term. The tax authorities, there's a lot of changes taking place, not only in your local jurisdiction, but globally. And it's very, very important you make sure you make the right advice. Consider tax in the background when you're making strategic changes to the business because that could impact you down the line if you don't um, consider all the factors when making those key business decisions. So thank you for this opportunity to AFF to be part of the conference. Uh, and we wish you all the best for the rest of the day. If there are any questions, we're happy to take them offline. So thank you very much for everyone and uh, enjoy.